0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a
1: verse by verse study through the Gospel of John and this is the 92nd program in this series. In the previous message, I was in John chapter 16 verses 8 through 11 when Jesus was speaking to his disciples about the role of the Holy Spirit in the world. That Jesus is about to go away, and we understand this as Jesus is going to be crucified, and he's going to be resurrected, he's going to be in the presence of the Father. And he has told the disciples repeatedly that this is important because, through this transaction, because of what Jesus is going to accomplish The Holy Spirit of God is going to be sent to them who will dwell within them. But in these verses, verses 8 through 11, Jesus tells the disciples that the Holy Spirit is going to have a relationship with the people in the world. Those who don't believe in Jesus are going to hear from the Holy Spirit of God also. It's just that the relationship between The Holy Spirit and the believers, the children of God, is going to be different from the relationship that will exist between the Holy Spirit and those who have rejected the Lord Jesus. In John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus said, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus told the disciples that there is going to be a relationship that will exist between God and the people of this world who reject him. There will be a new relationship. A new relationship because Jesus is about to do something and that will change the relationship between God and humanity. When He died for the sins of the world, that was a big change. When God decided He's just simply not going to hold people's sins against them anymore. That that's it. He's had enough. He's not going to deal with the subject of sin anymore. That was a big change. Now, I understand that most people in the Christian world believe that forgiveness is salvation. I don't. I take a different position. I believe that the restoration of the Holy Spirit, that being made alive through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is salvation and that it's forgiveness that makes it possible because if there is no sin that will be held against a person then there is no sin that a person can commit so that the Holy Spirit of God will depart from them ever again. Therefore, the life of God within them, the Holy Spirit, will remain within a person who has surrendered to the new covenant, and so they have been made spiritually alive, and this life will never leave them. Therefore, they have eternal life. They have been made into a new creation, into a living being, And when they physically die, they will still have a place in the kingdom of heaven among the living. So in this context, the decision with regards to who is going to go to heaven and who is going to go to hell is not made on the basis of sin and forgiveness. Instead, according to this definition, the decision will be made on the basis of are you dead or are you alive? Are you spiritually dead or are you spiritually alive? Obviously, you're physically dead, but are you spiritually alive? And if you are, then you have a place among the living. And if you do not, then you go to hell. But in these verses, verses 8 through 11, Jesus tells the disciples that there will be a change in the relationship between God and the unbelievers, between God and those who are lost that he is going to speak to them, that God will speak to those people who reject him. He's not going to just leave them alone, but he is going to communicate with them to an extent, and the extent is to the point of conviction. God himself is going to speak to people to convict them, just as he did so When he was here as the Lord Jesus, God manifested in the flesh, speaking to the people there in the land of Israel, most all of which rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And what did he tell these people? He told them things that would convict them about sin, about righteousness, about judgment. That's what he was doing. And God is going to continue to do that, but the change in relationship is that he is going to do this through his spirit speaking to their spirits. And this is what he's going to tell them. He's going to tell them that they don't believe in Jesus. He's going to make sure that everyone hears from him and everyone who rejects Jesus will hear from the Holy Spirit at some point in their life such that God will make it clear to them that he knows that they do not believe in Jesus. He will make that clear. There will be no confusion about that. He will bring this conviction to them. He will speak to them. He will do it himself. Now, of course, if he calls upon you to do this, or if you'd like to do this on your own, that can be a good thing. But here we have the testimony of Jesus that he told the disciples that this is going to be the new relationship. This is going to be the new activity of the Spirit of God, that when Jesus goes away, God will spend time with every person in every generation following the generation that exists today, and the generation that will be here tomorrow. He will be sure to tell people that he knows that they do not believe in Jesus, and this is going to be conviction. And you would think that if a person recognizes that there is a God, and that this God knows that they are rejecting Jesus, you would think that that would be maybe inspirational, that for some reason they would respond to that kind of conviction. They would repent and they would believe the gospel. But it doesn't happen that way. In general, there are other things that a person has decided are more important in their lives than to repent and believe the gospel. And this, of course, is an individual issue. You can ask people this question personally, which can be a good idea. Why is it that you reject Jesus as your Savior? What are your reasons? And you don't need to ask them that with the intent of you want to refute them or you want to make them feel bad because this is what they think or that you're going to start an argument with them. Just ask them to be open with you and just share their feelings about why it is that they reject Jesus, why they don't believe in him. And there are a lot of people who will tell you that they have some reasons. There are a lot of other people who may not have any distinct reasons at all. And that is because the subject just isn't important to them. But this is another way to understand that there are other things that are more important to them. And those are things that simply take precedence. But God said that he's not going to leave people alone, that he is going to speak to them to his satisfaction, that he's going to bring conviction to them. He's going to do it personally, and he's going to do it to his satisfaction, so that when the day comes, when they are confronted with this in his kingdom, before his throne, when this final decision is made concerning where they are going to spend eternity, God is going to be satisfied with the degree of conviction that he brought upon each individual person. He also said that he's going to convict the world of righteousness. He's going to tell people about righteousness, that there is righteousness. And he's going to tell them this in a way that this is important, that they need to be aware of this, that there is a right standing with God and they don't have it. And he will be sure to speak to people to the extent that he feels satisfied that they have been confronted with this. He's going to speak to them about judgment, that the ruler of this world has been judged. You know what? What he did in participating in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus was wrong. The devil was a participant. The devil was involved. Everybody knows it. And that was wrong. Murder is wrong. What the devil did was wrong. And when you consider this in comparison with the devil's pursuit of trying to be like God, well, God wouldn't have done that. But the devil did. And so this is a way of showing that the devil is not like God. He was a participant in murder. And this was wrong. And God is going to find a way to convey this to every person in humanity. Between his spirit and theirs, there will be communication of some kind at some point such that the topic of Jesus being crucified is going to come up, and the devil is going to come up, and there will be a connection made to the satisfaction of God so that he feels that this was communicated effectively, that this person knows, and this person knows that what the devil did was wrong. And when a person rejects Jesus, and when they reject the living God and the covenant that he has offered, they join in with the devil. They are one of his. They are not one of God's. And so this will compound the condemnation that a person should feel through this conviction that the Holy Spirit is going to do in their lives. In verse 12, moving forward into John chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus told his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus told the disciples that there was a lot that he could say to them. You know, there's no shortage of things that Jesus could have said to them, but they could not bear them. They would not be able to handle it. They couldn't deal with it. They probably couldn't understand it, but even if they got close to understanding things that Jesus could say to them, that he could tell them, they definitely would not be able to handle it. Why? Why would it be so difficult for the disciples to bear the additional things that Jesus could share with them. They had been with him for years. You would think that after walking and talking and living with Jesus for years, right there in the flesh, that by then you would think that they would be able to handle a lot more advanced kinds of conversations and topics. But no, if you have a red-letter edition of the words of Jesus in red in your New Testament? Read the black. Read what the disciples had to say. Read about what they said, what they did, and you will see that their understanding was quite limited. There were a lot of things that they just did not understand. They even said so. We don't understand. We don't know. We don't get it. They said that multiple times. And so if they couldn't even understand and get the things that Jesus was telling them then, then of course they're not going to be able to understand, appreciate, accept the additional things that he would be able to share with them if they did. There are many things. In fact, I would venture to say that the things that God could share with us are unlimited. The limitation is not with God. God does not have a communication problem. And he wants to talk. He wants to share. He wants to give. He wants you to know. He wants you to understand. The problem is not with him. The problem is with us. We are the ones with the limitations. And these limitations are defined by what we believe. He needs us to believe some things in order for us to understand other things. There are layers concerning what God can share. And I explained this in a previous program. I gave the example of forgiveness is necessary. You need to understand forgiveness if you're going to understand what it means to be set free from the law. If you don't understand what it means to be set free from the law, you're not going to be able to understand and comprehend the inheritance that we have received in Christ Jesus. And if you don't understand that, you're not going to live with what you have been given because of what Jesus did for you. It's not going to be an integral part of your life. Freedom from sin through forgiveness. Freedom from the law through forgiveness. Being a recipient of the inheritance because you have been set free from the law living with the inheritance that you have received because he no longer holds your sins against you and you have been set free from the law. These are layers. These are transitions that we walk through just to begin to live the Christian life. And when a person doesn't make it through these transitions, what do you suppose the Christian life looks like for them? It's simple. They look like they're waiting until they die and go to heaven. That's what it looks like. And they may very well go to heaven. They may very well be saved. Good for them. But that's not all that God has for them. Just as he says to his disciples, I have more to say. I have a lot more to say. But you can't handle it. There's something wrong with you, not with me. God does not have a communication problem. The problem is with us. There are things that we believe that are not true. There are things that we believe, there are things that we value, that are obstacles to what God can do. There will be consequences. If the Lord reveals something profound to you, there will be consequences. And those consequences are related to what's going to happen in your life. What happens when God says something to you that causes a disruption in your life because what he shares is different from what you have believed. And what you believe does make a difference in your life with regards to the decisions that you make, the things that you do, the things that you don't do. And so if God gives you discernment, if he gives you revelation, if he gives you understanding and the disruption in your value system or the disruption in In your life, or the disruption in the relationships that you have with other people, if that disruption is too great, then you won't be able to handle it. This is an example of what it could mean that we can only handle so much at one time. That we can only respond to so much at one time. We can only handle so much of a disruption in our lives, before we push these things aside and we say to God, you know what, Lord, that's just simply a little bit too much for me to handle right now. I can testify of this. I asked something of God one time. Jesus has been talking with his disciples in these chapters, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. He's been talking with them, and many times he said to them, Ask of the Father. Well, there was a time when I did ask him something. I asked him to give me insight, discernment, and understanding about something. And you know what? He did. And I know he did because I know I would have never thought of what was revealed to me, what was manifested in my spirit It definitely had to be from God. I knew that there was no way that I would have ever imagined anything like that. That kind of discernment, that kind of understanding. And it was profound. It was a lot. It was so overwhelming that I asked God to not say any more about that to me for a while. I did. I can testify of this, that the Lord shared something with me that was more than what I could handle. That was very kind of him. And it was also very kind of him that he didn't say anymore. When I asked him not to reveal anymore, I needed some time to work through what he just shared. And I did take some time, a long time, before I spoke with him about these things. So I can give testimony concerning this from my own living experience. But what I want you to see here in verse 12 is that our God has a lot to say. He has a lot to give, and he wants to. He wants to share as much as we can handle. He really does. He's willing to share more, even, on occasion. But I trust that he will be wise concerning what he will share with individuals and what he won't. But I want you to see this. I want you to see and I want you to understand that you have a God who really does Have a lot to say. He really does. Even though most people feel like God isn't even around. Like he never talks. He never has anything to say. Yeah? Well, he has a lot to say. But he needs you to start with what he has already had to say to you. You need to start with what he has already had to say to you. You need to pay attention to what he has already said. And what he has already said is littered throughout the testimony of the scriptures. Just read it. And Jesus said, and Jesus said, and God said, and God said. It's everywhere. He has already had a lot to say. If you'd like to start somewhere, start with what he has already said that we have recorded and ask him to reveal the significance of these things that he has already said to you to begin to build your understanding and to begin to make adjustments in your life concerning the truth that he reveals. Let these disruptions happen a little bit at a time because that's what they will be. They will be disruptions in your life. And if you will welcome them, if you will embrace them, then this will be good. But what you have to do is you have to make a decision that your relationship with your God is going to be more important than anything else that you have in your life here in this world. The degree to which you are willing to do that is the degree to which God will be able to reveal many more things to you that he really wants to share. Otherwise, he won't because you can't handle them. So this is the first thing that I want you to see about these verses, especially as I move forward from verse 12, because we will be able to see in this repetition of what Jesus has to say. We will see more about what our God really wants, what he wants with you. Jesus has expressed this by saying that he has a lot more to say. It's a way of saying God has so much that he wants to say to you. This is important to him. It is important to him to share with you as much as you can handle. He wants you to know who he is. He wants you to know the truth. In the following verses, Jesus repeats again to his disciples the things that God wants. The things that he wants between himself and us. He wants us to know the truth. He wants us to be guided into all truth by himself personally. He wants to be the one in our lives who guides us, who leads us, who lives our life with us. That's what he wants. He wants to be the person in our lives who is this influence in our lives that we can live together that he can experience this relationship with us on an individual basis as we grow, as we mature. He is our father. We are his children. And he wants to participate in our lives as our father, as our heavenly father who guides us, who leads us, who helps us to grow and mature and understand to become as much of a person as we can be as much as we can handle, as much as we can grow, because there are many more things that he would like to say to us. There are many more things that he would like to show to us. We have an infinite God with infinite character, infinite capacity. There is no end to who he is. This is the relationship that he has defined for us one in which there is a continual increase in closeness that will take place between He and us in the connection that happens between His Spirit and ours. Thank you for listening. This is the 90-second program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I spent time in John chapter 16, verse 12, and this is the transition between Jesus speaking to his disciples about the change in the relationship that is going to occur between himself, between God and the world, and that there will also be a change in the relationship between himself and those who believe in him. That the relationship between himself and the world is going to change in the sense that he is going to convict people of sin, of righteousness, and judgment on an individual basis, and that for those who will surrender to the new covenant, he will have an individual relationship with him such that he will say to them, he will provide us with as much revelation as we can handle. And the more that we learn from him, the more that we understand, the more that we are able to allow these truths to be a part of our lives, the more that he will be able to share. These things take time because of the disruptions that take place in us and in our lives as what we learn from our God becomes an integral part of who we are and how we live. And I will explain this more in the next program.